So we hope that you've enjoyed our summer series. We have had these sermons that have kind of been one-off sermons. We thought we would end with, the, with what we believe is a very important topic and one that we believe is misunderstood in our culture today. A, a bit of ambig- ambiguity that, that kind of rises on the subject of worship. And so we want to talk this morning about worship. And I didn't think there was anybody better to have up in the, here on the stage with me than our worship pastors. And uh, many of you know Ernesto Alcantara. He is our worship arts pastor. And what that means is he oversees all of our worship ministries. He oversees our production team, our tech team. Uh, he oversees our creative team and all the staff. So he's a big responsibility. It's a lot to oversee. He has a great staff along with him and does a fantastic job. And then Dan Fleming. Dan is our longest running staff member here at Crossroads. He has been on staff for 23 years. Now let me put that in perspective. Crossroads is 23 years old. So Dan has been here almost from the very, very beginning and he has been our worship pastor, and he has led us well. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, he came to me and said, Dave, I, I'm, I'm beginning to slow down. Uh, our church is moving forward or speeding up, but I, I'm gonna, I'm, I need to slow down. And so we began to together to, to form kind of a search team and say, let's find that next person who will oversee all of these pieces. And Dan, myself, Lori Biddle, our creative arts director, our elders and everything, we looked for Ernesto. And we found Ernesto, and we're thankful to have him. But I so love Dan, his wisdom. And I got to tell you something. I get a front row seat to watch these guys interact. And what I love about Pastor Dan, what I love about Dan is that he is a cheerleader and champion for the next generation. Like he is not, he, he, as he hand that baton to Ernesto, uh, watching them interact, I get to watch two geniuses work together. And they love each other. They care for each other. They stir on each other. Uh, I, I love watching them do what they do for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Dan has been a picture of what every person should be as they get older because he, he's up there and he's cheering on the next generation. So I appreciate Dan, his leadership, and the privilege that we have to work all together for, for the sake of worship and the glory of God. So let, what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of chat and I wanna encourage you to take notes. Uh, we're gonna be talking about worship. We think this will be valuable and, and uh, we're gonna be looking at what worship is. But before we do, let's talk about what worship is it? Because let's be honest, it's kind of weird. We gather together in a place like this and we sing. There's nowhere else that this happens. Like, you don't go to Starbucks and look at the person in line with you and go, let's sing a song together. You don't stand in line at Kroger and you're waiting on the cashier or you're in the auto checkout where it always beeps when I'm there and you don't say, hey, let's sing a song together. This is a great moment. So we gather as a church and we sing and we worship. So before we dive into what worship is, let's talk about what worship isn't. Because there's a lot of uh, misconstrued ideas. There's a lot of misconceptions. So what is worship not? Well, I think you're going to be surprised at what I say here. But worship is not music. Oops. You really said that? Yes, I did. Worship is not music. Music is an aid or a tool help us worship but music by itself is not worship i would add to that um that religious activity religious rituals that's not necessarily worship either you can come here and sing all the songs and not have worshiped um it takes a little more of a different mind frame to really to really worship but i would not say religious activity in itself is worship yeah you know the thing is a place 
Worship is not a place that we go to. Some people say, I'm going to go to a worship service at Park Avenue. Worship isn't just a place a gathering. It's, it's much deeper than that. So let's talk about what worship is. Uh, worship isn't uh, just singing. Worship isn't just an experience. It's not just a religious duty. It's not just, uh, it, it's not just a place we gather. Uh, and when I think about worship, before we dive into the, the answer, I want to I give you a technical definition found in the Scripture. Because all through the Bible, we see this word worship. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word uh, hawa. I love that word. You go, hawa. That's it. you got to spit a little bit. In the New Testament, it's the word proskenuo, or proskenuo is the, uh, the Greek word. And then latreia is the other Greek word. And all of them have a, have a similar theme to them. If you notice it, it's kind of the idea to bow down or, or to prostrate oneself. Uh, literally, the word hawa in the Old Testament literally means to kiss the ring of the king. It's the idea of, of kissing in humble fashion the king's signet ring. That's the image of these words, is the idea to bow down. We come to the New Testament, and Jesus has an interaction, a conversation about worship. In John chapter 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And remember, he mentions to her that she has mul- she's had multiple husbands, and now she's with the guy she's not, she's not married to. And she says these words. John 4, 19, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, talking about the city of Samaria, Shechem is the capital city, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. But Jesus answered to her and said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. So he's referencing himself. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him because God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's interesting. Jesus comes back and he says, we're all going to worship. And he's talking about the church here that we, you and I, have, have as a result of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the coming of the Spirit, we now worship in spirit and in truth, not in a place. So with that in mind, what would you guys say is worship? Worship is anything we do that pleases God. Anything we do that pleases God. When we go through those doors and uh, lift our voices in praise to God, Yes, that's worship. That, that pleases God. But it doesn't just happen in this building. Uh, worship is something that we do 24-7. When you're at work uh, during the week, how you treat others at work, I think that can be an act of, act of worship if you treat them in a godly way. Yeah, I would, I would define it this way. It's the willful bowing of your life to exalt something, right? Um, and so we're a whole person, right? We've, we've got thoughts, we've got a heart, we've got affection, we've got emotions, uh, we've got our will, we, we use our time, we use our resources. Whatever is the thing that is consuming those things that you're constantly bowing your life towards. So if we're honest, I mean, that can be, that could be fitness, right? That could be uh, your kids, that could be sports, uh, that could be work. Right? There's several areas where we can willfully bow our lives and kind of submit it to that particular thing. We're hoping to be worshipers of God, but I think there's times, if we're honest, uh, there might be other things in our lives that have consumed uh, our lives, and, and it's the thing that we bow to. So whatever thing your, your life is bowed to, probably, I would say, is, is the object of your worship. Yeah, 
that's good. It reminds me of Romans 12.1, which says this very well. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Notice the motivation. The motivation is the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's the manner. Motivation, mercies of God. Manner, present your bodies. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I got to bow down my feelings, my desires, my pleasures. My, I got to bow down people and possessions and even country and culture. I bow down to worship the one worthy of that worship, and that's Jesus Christ. I worship, by the way, worship in English means worth it. It is that he is worth it, and so we worship something that is worth it. By, by the way, a great book, as you guys were talking, I was reminded of the book, uh, written by an apologist named Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias wrote a book, not on apologetics, but a book called The Grand Weaver. He talks about God as the weaver of our lives, and he says that worship actually takes four different manifestations or forms, and they are prayer, praise, biblical teaching, and then giving, giving of ourselves, giving our time, giving our treasure, giving our talent. I would add one thing in there, that would be work. And so when you think about the five things, the way we worship, it, we pray, we praise, we, we listen and hear and engage biblical teaching we then give of ourselves, but we work well, and work becomes a part of our worship. So you guys answer a little bit about what worship is. If it's not just singing, it's all of those things, why then do we sing and we still call it worship? Because it's awesome. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, you, you look at Scripture, you look at the songs, it says, sing unto the Lord a new song. He doesn't say hum. He doesn't say chant. He says, sing unto the Lord a new song. And I believe when we sing, it really shows what's happening inside of us. Yeah, I would say as, as enjoyable and maybe even therapeutic as, as singing can be, um, the purpose isn't in itself to have a good time. Um, it's, it's obedience. The Lord asks for it, right? And so I think that's a good place to start uh, when engaging worship is we're doing this because God has asked for it. And we, we're grateful for all that he's done for us and, and we want to please him and so we look for him to kind of set the standard for what it all should look like and singing is a huge part of that um i would also say too there's a there's such a wisdom in asking us to sing right there's just it reflects the genius of god if and you can google this there's tons of study on this stuff when there's a group of people singing together our heartbeats actually start to become in sync and I mean, you even have uh, our breathing becomes similar, right? Because we take a breath and then sing the next phrase. So there's this natural unity that happens, which is so in line with what the Holy Spirit is, is looking to do in us anyway, right? He's uniting us more and more with Christ, but uniting uh, us with each other. And so singing has a way of, of creating that unity. And of course, your heart gets involved, right? We, we don't want to be robots for Jesus. We want to be people who are fully engaged, that our whole lives are, are his, right? And so something about singing just kind of stirs up affection, right? I would say singing maybe is like the next step up from poetry, right? You can express yourself. Uh, you can maybe do it in a form of a poem, but something about singing just gets your heart engaged. And so the genius of God to ask us to sing right? Uh, it creates this environment where we can start to attach our affection towards the Lord. And so it's not just a bunch of rules that we're all trying to follow, but this is a person that we love and that we're wanting to please. And so I think help, singing helps with that. Yeah, so good. such a great point, a beautiful point. Uh, over 200 commands in the Bible to sing. Over 200 times throughout the scripture, it calls us 
to sing. And I, I love that picture that we breathe together. I never really thought of that. We breathe together. Our heart begins to sink together when we sing together. By the way, this is true in the secular world. Many of you have been to Ohio State football game. And there's this song they sing at every Ohio State football game. And it's called Hang On Sloopy. Now, I still haven't figured out why you sing it, because it has nothing to do with Ohio State Buckeyes. But it's this crazy call, and you sing this song. And this is true in many places with sports. Um, I think of, of the Boston Red Sox. You go to a game at the seventh inning stretch. They all sing in unison, Sweet Caroline. Uh, you go to, I'm, I'm from Maryland, a Baltimore Orioles game. I love ba the Baltimore Orioles. I grew up with them. They sing at the seventh inning stretch, Cotton Eye Joe, which tells you everything you need to know about our state. <laughs> There's something about it that just unites people under a banner. And for us, it's the banner of Christ. And so God commands this. And so we should respond in, and when we do that, God in that beauty is bringing us together, making us one as we sing together. That's why it's important to sing together. Our, our breathing gets in sync. I love that. Our, our, our heartbeats are in sync in that moment. Well, well, let's talk about not only singing, but why would you encourage expression in singing? Why, why would you encourage responsiveness in our singing? Uh, why do we raise our hands, clap our hands, celebrate? Why do we do that? God created us to worship him. Worship is not about us. It's about him. And we need to, to open our hearts to honestly express to him how we feel about him. Well, I'm Latino, so I just can't help it, right? I'm like, whippa, right? No, just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> You're not kidding. I'm not kidding. You're not kidding. <laughs> I'll find a party anywhere. Um, no, here's what I would say is, is we're in relationship with God, right? We're not, he's not just some dictator in the sky. This is, this is a person who has loved us and has saved us. Um, and so here's how I see it. If, if you were in relationship with somebody who maybe is from a different culture than you, right? Um, a foreigner, let's say this was a spouse or this was a best friend or just somebody you really care about. If they told you, hey, where I'm from, this is how we go about celebrating. This is what a celebration looks like. So if you're gonna take me out for my birthday tonight, here's what I would love to see on the menu. This would just uh, be so meaningful for me that you kinda uh, took note of all these traditions from where I'm from. If you show up to this dinner and you bring chicken nuggets instead, right, and say, hey, I hope you like this, this is kinda what I prefer to eat today, that would be obviously very offensive, but also it doesn't communicate you matter to me. Right? And so if we have all these instructions in scripture to clap our hands, to shout, to make a joyful noise, right? And this is what God is asking of us. To not honor that, it communicates, I'm here for my own experience. And so you're not showing up to the relationship with love, right? If you really love the Lord and care about him, then you're going you're gonna to take note of the things that please him. And if we've got all these uh, things in scripture that give us an insight to that, then what a great opportunity to come together and say, let's do this for Jesus. Let's bring worship. Instead of trying to receive a worship experience for yourself, you come ready to bring worship to Jesus according to what he likes and what pleases him. You, I, love, I love that, that picture of bringing worship. That's a different mindset than yeah. many of us have. We think I'm coming to worship or I'm gathering to worship. No, we bring worship because the object is Jesus. And uh, I, I think about this. Both of you kind of hit on the subject of joy, right? The reason we express ourselves, the reason God calls us to do these things 
is because of a joy that overflows us. And by the way, not everybody has joy. Every person on the earth is pursuing happiness, but happiness is circumstantial. Joy is only found in the person of Christ. When we have Christ, now we overflow with joy that isn't circumstantial, but is founded in who Christ is. It's that knowledge of who Christ is and the understanding of what he's done for us. So we, of all people, as people that have received the gospel, should be the most exuberant, should be the most joy-filled. It should be the internal essence of joy that leads to the external expression of joy. That's how joy works. Internal essence external expression. By the way, this is seen all throughout the Bible. Just a, a few pictures of this. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I'm thankful for that, that, uh, that verse, joyful noise. That's all I've got. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Bring your worship with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 47, 1. Clap, you, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I love, notice the imperatives. Clap your hands. Shout unto God. Notice Psalm 35, 27. It says, may those who delight in salvation shout for joy. Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is a debauchery or it's excess, but be filled by the Spirit, with the Spirit. And then it says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. It says when you're filled with the Spirit, we address one another, and we don't address each other just with words. It's with songs hymns, and spiritual songs. We, we make melody in our heart together because we're overwhelmed with the joy that the Spirit gives to us. And so we ought to be the most exuberant people. We ought to be the people that exude the joy of God in our worship. So we raise our hands, we clap our hands, we celebrate. By the way, notice every one of those pictures. It's not someone with a coffee cup standing there yawning. That's really discouraging when you do that. Please don't <laughs> yawn in our direction. <laughs> Notice it. It's rejoice, clap your hands, shout for joy, be exuberant. By the way, and there are times and seasons where mourning is a part of praise and worship as well, where you cry, you weep, you, you feel the overwhelming sense of God's work in a situation that's difficult. That is a part of the worship. There's responsiveness to worship. So with that idea, responsiveness, expressiveness, what about when we don't feel it? I don't know about you guys, I, I've been in here before and just don't feel like worship. I don't feel like a worshiper. What about that? Well, worship is, is really not about our feelings. It's about him and he, his desires for us to praise him. So I found that you put the action first. Uh, you, you, in obedience, you worship the Lord and then the feelings come rather than putting the feelings first. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, reality is we all are, we're all experiencing life, right? And life has its ebbs and flows and its twists and turns, and it's not always easy, but there's tons of challenge, right? Just making it through your week. You might have come this morning and had a hard time uh, just getting here, right? So it's not to say that you want to psych yourself out and it's like, oh, no matter what I'm going through, I'm joyful today. Um, there is a part of that, that that could feel phony. And I don't think that's what would be most pleasing to the Lord. But there is uh, something very, I would even say holy, about saying, you know, whatever I came in with today, 
I can come honestly before the Lord and trust that he's bigger than this. Mm. And as we sing about the truth of who he is, and as we're engaging the reality that God is present with us, that will trump everything that you're feeling, right? And if, if you end up in a situation where the music is not quite what you hoped for, it, listen, I'll be very honest, even as a worship pastor, there are times we do music and it is not our favorite song. <laughs> what? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> If I sing Good, Good Father one more time, I'm going to pull out my hair. <laughs> Dan did a lot of this, apparently, in his years. <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking, is this your future right here? This is it. My man bun, no. You, reality is, by the time you guys hear a song, we would have done it a million times. We would have practiced privately, right, to be prepared for rehearsal. By the time you get to rehearsal, let's say on a Thursday night, you've, you rehearse a song four or five times. You get here on Saturday during our soundcheck rehearsal time another four or five times. Then we have our first service on Saturday. We got two on Sunday, right? By the time you hear it once, we've already done it 14 times. So by the time you've heard it the 10th time, we've done it a lot, right? So it's, it's, it's not always... Uh, it's not the wisest thing to try to depend on feelings and try to depend on, oh, man, I hope I, I feel really good at church today. You really have to come with, with a sense of this is for Jesus, right? And we are bringing worship to him regardless of whether or not I prefer the song, regardless of whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it, right? I'm here to bring worship. But the other thing I would say, too, is God so honors that, that I think in his grace and in, in his love, that same arena of your feelings and your thoughts where you kind of experience your world and where you may have had a challenge that week, you bring that into the presence of God and his truth and who he is, it trumps that. So you start to experience in your heart and in your mind healing. You start to experience a, a sense of, man, God is so much bigger than what I'm facing. And just this trust that builds up in you and this affection that, that builds up in you, you can now leave with a whole different perspective than what you came with. So again, the genius of God, for us to be able to come together and come in with thanksgiving, regardless of our feelings, and then just let our, our feelings catch up to the truth of who God is. That is, that is such a, a great point, and you both hit, it, hit on the, really hit the nail on the head in the idea that we say this all the time, right? Our feelings don't direct our faith. Our faith defines our feelings. It's true of singing, by the way. Right? When we declare it in song, we can then begin to feel it in, in our souls. Right? It's this idea that we don't come with a feeling, we come with the truth, and the truth drives the posture of our heart to now guide us in life, to guide us in thanksgiving, to guide us in praise. Or, or to put it another way, and if, tell me if this is wrong, but worship is really a, not a depiction of our feelings, right? We sometimes think, well, I'm going to worship because I feel like worshiping. Worship is not a depiction of our feelings. It's a de declaration of the truth that we know. It's a declaration that we know this truth, and that truth is constant whether I feel it or not. And so we, we are not depicting feelings. We are, we are declaring truth beyond what we, what we feel. So, um, by the way, I, I think about you guys when we think about this topic of joy and being exuberant and overwhelmed, and you guys are both an example of that. Um, I don't have to convince you that Ernesto, man, he is, he is bouncy and he's excited and there's joy that exudes from him, and I just want you to know this is really who he is. Like, he doesn't all of a sudden on the weekend turn that on and now he bounces around. No, he's walking through these hallways throughout the week and he's singing, he's excited. I mean, he's just joy-filled and he, it is infectious to our team. Uh, this is the way he is. 
Uh, Dan, I love watching Dan play the keys or on the piano. I love it, and sometimes we'll have our staff chapel. We have a chapel together where we just worship as a staff, and, and Dan will be on the keys leading that in. I love watching him because you can sense he's joy-filled. All of a sudden, you'll see that hand hit a key, and it'll come up, and you know he's just going at it, and he's not even looking around. He doesn't care who's there. It's just joy that overwhelms him, and so that expression, that, that feeling follows the truth that we're declaring. It's following. And so both of these guys are an example of that. And if you ever watch them interact, it's like joy. <laughs> it's joy back and forth with each other. Let me, let me ask you, so we talk about singing, we talk about songs. How do we choose the songs that we sing here at Crossroads? Yeah, so that's, that's actually very intentional. So kind of the way we function in every sphere of what we do, um, we really think it's important to share the gospel. Right? Um, so you may not realize it, uh, but in every single set list, you'll have a song uh, that talks about who God is, what he's like, right? Uh, we'll have a song about our brokenness or our longing for him. You'll have a song that uh, celebrates what Jesus has done for us and talks about the work of Christ. Living Hope that we just sang is an example of that. Um, and then we always end with a song that celebrates life in Christ, right? And so that's kind of taking you through the journey of the gospel. We believe it's not just for the purpose of salvation, but it's that same gospel message that is sanctifying us and molding us and shaping us and um, helping us to, to uh, have the right perspective of who we are, who God is, what the world is, right? And so we, uh, we believe that we have an opportunity every time we come together and, and stir our, our, our affections and we uh, declare the truth of who God is to be able to do that kind of with the boundaries of this is the gospel and to constantly be sharing that and reminding ourselves of that. Um, so that's very intentional. And then obviously we want to make sure that it's singable, that you can participate. We want to create a unifying experience. And ultimately I always say a lot of these songs end up being the soundtrack of your relationship with God. So we want to make sure that those songs are ones that are catchy, that you can sing along um, and that you can ultimately take it home with you. You know, I remember Ernesto came to me at the beginning of the year laying out this idea of singing the gospel. And you may not have known that. We didn't announce that. We talked about whether we should say that. But, but this idea that every weekend we're reminding ourselves of the gospel message through the songs that we sing. And if you start, I, I would challenge you to start following it. We've been doing it all summer here. And uh, if you follow the songs, it, it, it declares those things. It reminds us of those things, of the need for Christ, the, then the celebration of Christ and what he's done, the reminder of the work of Christ. It leads us in the journey that faith should follow. We also take great delight and care in theological appropriateness. Um, there are songs, by the way, that we have changed the lyric to, just one or two. If they have many lyrics we don't agree with, we actually throw that song out. But if there's one or two parts of that where we can change, uh, we have rewritten songs to make sure that our worship songs here at Crossroads are theologically appropriate for what we believe God has called us to as a church. And so we take great care in making sure our songs, and Dan and Ernesto, they'll come to me and go, hey, what do you think of this? Let's talk about this. Where are we at theologically on this? And we'll talk through it. And if we have to change it, we'll change it. If not, we'll throw it out. And we'll say we're not singing that. Um, and so we take great care in the songs that we choose. Let me ask you guys this. So, so you said that not every song we sing is not your favorite. Shh. That's weird. Let me ask you this. What is your favorite worship song? If you had to pick one, what is it? That's a hard question. You go, you go first. Um, okay. I do have a favorite song. It's not a newer one. Probably a little older now. Do you guys know that song, Heart of Worship? Somebody say yes. <laughs> I love this song. When the music fades and all this shift away and I simply come. I, I love the 
concept, right, that with as much, and, and my world's very creative, right, and um, I, I'm, I'm a very driven person. If there's a new great big idea, I want to give it to Jesus, right? Um, but I love the, the simplicity of what worship really is. Ultimately, as, as many bells and whistles as you can try to incorporate to, to give Jesus the best, at the end of the day, what he wants is our hearts. He wants us to be able to simply come and make it about him. And so in my world, that's, that's, a, that's a big anchor for me uh, to be able to, to focus on, hey, the purpose of all of this is to simply come before our God and, and to give our hearts in worship. So I, I just, I love that song. Well, for me, like you, it's an older one. It's a song we've done here for years, but it's a song written by Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God? And uh, you've sung it a million times, and we're going to sing it right we now. We got on that one. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> How great is our God. Come on. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Awesome. Thank you. That was good. That's a good one. That's a good one. You still got it, Dan. Lady worship. You know, one of the things that uh, I remember somebody telling me that in different seasons, you'll have different favorite songs. Find one. And in my life right now, I really love a song that was shared with me by Chris Davis, who is uh, one of our leaders here, and he oversees a global lead, a ministry that trains pastors. He, sh he sent this to me in the midst of the season I'm in, and it was a song by Shane and Shane. It's called I Will Wait, and it's based upon Psalm 130. And that has been on my playlist every day. I remind myself of that. I will wait, God. You're at work. Even when I don't see you, you're at work. And then secondly, a, a newer one that's upbeat is called Good Grace by Hillsong. And, and in the lyric, I love this lyric. It says, clean hands, pure heart, good grace, good God. That if you know who God is, you know what God has done, then you should have clean hands and pure heart. And so I love that song. It's one that it's on my playlist. And this season, it speaks to those moments where you just don't know what God is doing. But you can be sure that he, is, he has good grace and he's a good God. And I love that reminder of that song. You know, a lot of, a lot of favorites I hear, um, it's actually hymns. A yeah, lot of people yeah. love the hymns. Let me ask this, if I can ask the question, if you don't mind. Um, especially being a lead pastor, right? Um, one, one question I get often is, hey, uh, any chance we could do more hymns? Or I'll get the opposite. There's this new song, you guys need to do it next week, right? Um, do you have any thoughts about hymns versus some of those modern day choruses? Um, is one better than the other? Uh, I am learning. Let me know. As, as a worship pastor, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So. Yeah, I'm doing the interviewing here, so you can't ask me those questions. <laughs> this is like stuff the pastor. You just put in a position that I can't win, right? If I say, we should sing more hymns, and everybody's going to people are going to walk Yeah, out. and if we say, we need more prayer scores, half the church is going to celebrate. No, let, let me say this. And I'm not going to answer it fully because I believe we need both. Um, and so we try to balance that, and we look at every song intentionally. Does it fit the gospel message that we're trying to proclaim? But I, I want to say this, and because one of the aspects is most people that love praise courses don't dislike hymns, but there are people that are, we're hymns only, we don't like the praise courses. And let me just challenge that for a moment. Um, because many people will say, well, we need the hymns because they are good theology. By the way, every song we sing should have good theology. We make sure of that. Every song should be theologically appropriate, but, but, we don't merely sing theology. We don't sing information. We sing to Jesus. 
Uh, in fact, I wrote a book called The Idol Called Grace, and the whole premise of the book is that we take grace and make it more important than God himself, that we take the attributes of God and we worship them more than the creator who gave them to us. The whole book is about that, the idea that grace is the instrument that God used to save us. It's not what we worship or what we go after. God's grace is the, the pill uh, that he delivers to us a rescue. Now, when it comes to singing, think about the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is about the amazing grace of God. Now, don't kick me out for this. But tread lightly, brother. People love that song. <laughs> it's true. And it's, it's a timeless song. But, but what we want to do, though, is sing to Jesus. Uh, I remember when my second son, he's, he's now 19, but when he was about 12 or 13, we were having this conversation about worship. And Allison was talking to him after that privately. And he, he defined worship this way. He said, so, Mom, what you're telling me is, Worship is a song that we can sing in heaven before Jesus. And I thought, that's it. That, that is it. It's not just we're singing theological truths. We're singing theological truths about what Christ has done so that we, we then bring worship back to him. And so I, I, I think we should guard from the idea that we only sing songs because we're trying to tell ourselves theology. We sing songs because we're trying to declare and praise Jesus for who he is. And so hymns can do that. Praise courses to do that. But the other thing I hear about hymns are that people will say, you know, I don't know if we should sing this song because this group doesn't really follow our theology. It doesn't match our theology. And there are many, many groups that we sing their songs, and they don't exactly line up theologically with who we are. And so the question is, do we throw all of them out because we don't have alignment? Can I tell you? I want to challenge you to go start looking up hymn stories. Because a lot of the hymns that we love are actually written by people that we do not theologically align with. In fact, some of their views would be outright despicable in our, our world today. It's true. I, I read a lot of stories about hymn writers, and there's a concern there where they have this similar problem. So what we do is make sure theologically it aligns with us, while at the same time realizing there might be a wide spectrum of their views of different things. While we might not align with them, we make sure the song aligns with us and that we're bringing it back to Christ. And so those are the things, those are the boundaries that I think we do well to create. By the way, over and over again in the, the, the Bible, Psalm 33, sing a new song to the Lord. Psalm 96, oh, sing the Lord a new song. Sing the Lord all the earth. Isaiah 42, sing the Lord a new song. I believe God loves new expressions of praise to him. I believe he loves every generation to write songs about him because it reminds us that he never changes and that we see him at work now. And so I think there's a beauty in both the hymns of old that we hold to, but also the new songs that come out that remind us of who Christ is, that point us back to the work and person of Jesus Christ. Um, let, let me ask this. So we talked about singing, we talked about hymns. I know that you know, maybe took the middle road there. I like we, both, by the way. We, we love both. Don't email me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you do. Let me ask you this. Why, why do we use lights, a little bit of fog, screens and cameras and technology. Why do we use that stuff? Well, what you call the fog, we call the glory cloud, right? <laughs> yeah. God is in the building. <laughs> hey, for some of some people out there might be like, wait, wait, that's a glory cloud? No, he's joking, <laughs> no, no. he's joking. It's it is fog. fog. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's what I would say is, is if we, as people, have had access to the very best, right? If we have an idea of what excellent production looks like and excellent music looks like and excellent art looks like, why would we hold that back from the one who deserves that and more, right? We want to give Jesus the best, right? So it, 
everything we do from, from graphic design to lighting design, all those things, we're doing it with a sense of, of worship. We want to give Jesus the best. Um, but I would also add to that, God is very aesthetic, right? You, you can just look out in nature and see that God is very detailed. Everything he's created, uh, there's a beauty to it. There's a majesty. You look over at, at mountains or the Grand Canyon or coral reefs, right? Any, any uh, scenic uh, thing in nature. And it's very clear um, that God values beauty and God uh, values vibrancy right? Um, you even look at the instructions that God gave, for example, when the tabernacle was built, right? God was very specific about what he wanted there, um, and they wanted only the most skilled people to be the ones to construct these things. In fact, uh, the first mention of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody was an artist uh, for the purpose of creating the things that would go into the tabernacle. And so this is a, a huge piece of what we do. We want you to be able to walk into the room and know, man, whoever you guys are celebrating must be a big deal, right? Because we are putting our all into it. We're putting our best um, and we're, we're not holding anything back that we could possibly give to Jesus uh, to proclaim him and, and declare who he is. Yeah. You know, I, I think of as a church, uh, one of the things that God leaves us with, that God chose you and I people as the medium of his message. Certainly there's the word of God, but you and I are the medium of the message. And I think about that because that means that we wanna do whatever it is possible to engage the heart of people back to God. And so lights and all of these different things and cameras and screens, I think is a challenge to say we don't live life sloppily, right? There are a lot of churches and they, they're, they're sloppy. And what they're actually saying to the people is you can live sloppy lives and it's okay. And I think we should direct that back and say, no, God deserves our best. God's commanded us to sing. God has commanded us to give our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, as an act of worship. So why would I not want to do the best things to say we believe excellence is a part of our life? So as a church, we should be more excellent than any stadium. We should be more excellent than any concert. We should be more excellent because we're worshiping something and someone that actually matters. And so for me, I, I think it's a, if we are the primary medium of the message, then we wanna do it the best we can do it so it reflects the Jesus that we serve. By the way, Revelation 4, yeah. Revelation chapter 4, uh, you read that and it says in heaven around the throne room there are rainbows and colors and fire. lightning and fire. And I mean, the throne room is, is aesthetic. It's not just candles and nothing else. And not, not saying anything wrong with candles. There's times for that. But it's, it's overwhelmed with color and brightness. And I think some of us, we're going to get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at the light show. And we're going to be like, what kind of, what kind of heaven is this? But God is, God, is, God is demonstrating his beauty and glory. And so we want to use any human means necessary to demonstrate that beauty and glory in the way that we, uh, we serve. Uh, let, me, let me ask this last question. What is your dream for worship at Crossroads? Like when you think about worship as a body of Christ, what are some of the things that you dream about for us? For me, I'd, I would love to look out and see 100% engaged fully in worship. Maybe you're not even singing, but you're, you're listening to the words and you're giving glory to God. 100%, not 50, not 60, but 100% all across all three campuses. Yeah, I would, right along those same lines, I would say the same. Um, I think 
when you can see Christ for who he is, I really don't think you can help it. Right? And so I would hope that we all just kind of get this revelation in our hearts uh, of the beauty and the majesty of the God that we serve. And that we would just look across and see a, a people who are bringing worship. Not just uh, people who came to experience worship and maybe hear the word, but to be actively engaged in, in bringing Jesus worship. Where you already walked into the doors planning to give Jesus worship. And that we, we have that uh, just across all of our campuses. That all at the same time we can uh, rest assured and when you come to Crossroads, what you're going to find is a people who came to give and not just experience. That's good. That's good. Uh, I can't help but to think about Habakkuk 2.14. And we, we did a series through Habakkuk, and this, this verse gripped me. It, it says this. It says Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I love that because notice the prophet doesn't say, that we will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We don't call down the glory of God. We don't hype up the glory of God. We don't declare the glory of God. Right? These aren't things. We don't, we don't hype up God's glory. God's glory is everywhere. We don't, we don't need to ask for it. It's everywhere. It's in our workplaces. It's in our marriages. It's in our, in our, our church. The glory of God is everywhere. It's in our restaurants we eat at. God's glory is everywhere. But he says there, the prophet says that we may be filled, that we will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And if you ask me, what is the dream? What is the passion? What is the hope for worship? It is that we are filled with the knowledge of the glory of God in our lives as we praise him, as we sing to him, as we live our lives as an act of worship, that we were filled with the knowledge that everything we touch is glorious. Everything we're a part of is a part of God's glory being revealed. And so that's my prayer. I love the prophet says that. We don't call down, we don't hype up. We, we, we get filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As we end, we're actually gonna put into practice what we've just proclaimed. We're gonna take a moment, we're gonna end our service with a, with a time of worship, of celebration. And this idea of celebration and worship, again, we, this is an overflow of our hearts. We, we bring worship to Christ, the focus is Christ. And so we want to end by celebrating what God has done for us. So I'm going to ask you to stand uh, where you are. If you just stand, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to clap. We're going to lift and make joyful noise unto the Lord. Maybe you're here, and you're not a very good singer. Make a joyful noise. If it's out of the overflow of the heart, it's joyful. If you're off tune, joyful. It doesn't matter. Um, as we're led by the team. And I love, by the way, in the Old Testament, I love the Psalms. It describes that there were skilled people that led the people of God into worship. And I'm thankful for our teams. We have much talent here at Crossroads that lead us. But every one of us, every one of us is a worshiper. Or you may come in here, you may be even watching or listening online. And you know what? Even if you don't know Christ, you're a worshiper. The question is, will what you worship actually lead to life? That's the question. And for us, we have one who's already given us life by coming to die on a cross, by walking out of a grave, by ascending into heaven, by giving us life in his name, Jesus Christ. We have one to give us life. And so for us, our worship has an object that does not fail. And so we have reason to be exuberant, reason to celebrate. Would you bow with me? God, as the prophet said, may we be filled with the knowledge of your glory, Lord, as the water covers the sea. 
God, may we be filled by your spirit that overwhelms us with joy so that we address one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we can't help but to make melody in our hearts because of all that you've done for us. And God, even in those moments we don't feel it, may we declare it. May we live it. May we speak it because we know your truth then transforms our feelings, that we're driven by faith, not our feelings. And so in this season, in this moment, God, may we worship you. May we celebrate what you have done. May the knowledge of your glory fill our minds and our hearts. And may we overflow to a great God, a great Savior, one worthy of all worship, praise, and honor for now and forevermore. Your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing to him.